Welcome back to the Outer Bubble podcast, where you get to hear from amazing women who are embracing midlife and leaving a trail of inspiration along the way, breaking down the midlife stereotypical barriers and proving it's never too late to find new passion and purpose. My name's Rachel Peru. I started a new career as a model age 46 and now find myself as an international model, modeling lingerie, fashion, beauty, and I'm now 51. I would never have imagined that I'd have the confidence to do this because I didn't have it in my 20s and 30s. I've come across so many other women in midlife who are stepping out of their comfort zones, stepping out of their bubbles, and going on to enjoy and feel fulfilled in this next chapter in life. So I hope that by sharing these stories, they will inspire you to do the same. What's stopping you? Time to step out of the bubble. Happy New Year. Welcome back to another year on Out of the Bubble podcast. Happy 2022. I really wish you all lots of good health, happiness, and a really more positive tone to the new year this year. I am excited to share some amazing women with you again. And we're starting off with a lady I actually met last year. And she's one of those women that when you talk to her, you always come away feeling better. You feel more uplifted, inspired, and she just has a, an amazing sense of identity. So I knew I had to get her on the podcast. Dr. Monica Singh Gangotra is a psychologist. She's a children's author and she has an amazing sense of style. She wrote a book called The Sunflower Sisters which is really tackling colorism and really making sure that we get that message across that all skin colors are beautiful. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about what inspired her to write the book and her own experiences and let's get this conversation out in the open. And if you haven't already found her on Instagram I can't wait for you to see her. Her fashion and her sense of style is amazing. I'm always blown away by her outfits. I would love to go through her wardrobe. So without further ado I am I'm looking forward to talking to Monica this morning. So welcome, Monica. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me on, Rachel. It was lovely to talk to you last year. As soon as we'd finished talking, I was like, I've got to get Monica on the podcast. <laughs> Time just flew. It was like we were just chatting and chatting and it just all of a sudden it was all over and yeah. it was lovely. So I've done an introduction about you. Um, so, But how do you introduce yourself to people? Because you've got lots of strings to your bows. <laughs> My name is a really big part of my identity. So I always am very clear about my name and what it means to me and stuff like that. So that's always just a big part of who I am. Um, I, I've kept my maiden name because I feel like that is a real big part of my legacy and how, who I've become. And that's carrying my dad's name forward, who has been instrumental in my success. So um, yeah, I, I do focus on my name and and that is a large part of my identity and then I kind of just kind of rattle off the list of little things that I do that more all the pies that I have my fingers in but yeah so my name is Monica Singangotra and uh, I have a PhD in psychology but I uh, also am launching a fashion label I worked as a stylist for a few years and I had this wonderful opportunity to launch my own clothing label and I'm also now a children's picture book author and your book is just so beautiful and like, you know, Thank I share you. the links for everyone to go and have a look at it and if you have got children I definitely recommend you go and buy it because it's just it's not only beautiful in its illustration and, and the style of it Monica it, it's your message so where did the inspiration come from behind the book well Sunflower Sisters is a series and so the second one's coming out this year which I'm very excited about but uh, it I wanted to be able to have uh, a children's picture book that was a mirror for South Asian audiences and also as like a window into what our lives are like. I think that it's really important to be able to uh, educate and inform and have lovely stories and things like that for our younger generation because they are our future and educating them in a way that they can carry things on um, is really important to me. 
I'd been writing children's stories, stories for children since I had my daughter, who's going to be seven soon. And I just, anything with a South Asian influence, I, I always tend to kind of be drawn to and, and by, I want to support South Asian creatives and artists in any way that I can. So I do my best to kind of invest in that stuff. Um, when I was, I wasn't able to find stories that kind of resonated with my life. A lot of the stuff I was finding was very folktale, very kind of traditional stories, which is not necessarily how we live or how my daughter's going to grow up. We're very much a mix of all the the cultures that we're we're growing up amongst, you know. And so I wanted to have stories where my daughter could be like, "Oh, that looks like my friend," or "That looks like me," or "Yeah, we we eat pizza on a Friday night," and all that kind of stuff. So an amalgamation of our whole life, the buildings, the clothes, everything you know so uh, a fusion of everything in those books so basically I wrote these stories and I used to tell her these stories and my husband in lockdown was like they're really good you should submit them I really like them they're important and I think that you could you could do something nice for the world and so I did and I was very very lucky that Outlet Press loved my books loved the concept and went with it and they have maintained the integrity and the authenticity of my stories and I'm forever grateful for that even down to the editors the illustrators they all you know we had an editor who was a racism expert um, edit the book and we had the artist is of mixed race heritage but she was married to a South Asian man and so her family so there were so many wonderful influences and the synergy in the team just it just felt like serendipity <laughs> and I love the fact and I love the fact that you're really targeting the younger generation because they're the ones that really can create this massive change aren't they and yeah. sadly I think adults there's lots of adults that still need that education but to get in yeah. at a young age I think is really special but I think the the book is written in a way that it will need a little bit of adult uh, supervision and not yeah. in the way that there's anything that's too confrontational it is a, a, a loving warm book but we were very mindful that we did want parents to read this book as well and and be able to lovingly redirect and in a gentle way kind of explain to them that that these behaviors exist and there are ways that we can change it so they're educating their children but they're also going actually I do that yeah. You know, it's, oh, I, I've said that stuff before, or I've heard someone say that to me, or I've experienced that personally, and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And it's yeah. about empowering everyone that reads the book that we can make change. And it doesn't have to be, uh, making change doesn't have to be aggressive or, you know, unkind. It can be in a beautiful way. You can make change with love, you know, and I think that's that's very important in my books is to is using education as a way to change the world with kindness. I love that. You just have such a beautiful way of putting everything, Monica. Honestly, what were your experiences? Did 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 you experience this when you were younger? Then has that had an impact on your life? So basically, I grew up in Australia, which is under the the glorious sun. And we had a very outdoorsy lifestyle. We were very close to the beach. I grew up on the coast. I used to go swimming lessons. Um, and there's uh, there's a very uh, large Punjabi Sikh community where I grew up as well. It was where the first Sikh temple were, uh, was built in Australia. Um, and the community itself is beautiful. It's it's very nice to live in a country where you're exposed to both it can be challenging when you're a child but yeah. now yeah. I look back and think wow I'm so grateful for that because it has really molded who I am but growing up it's it's very confusing it is I'm not gonna lie so it was about being outside but then coming home 
having my swimming lessons, you know, having my training, um, because my dad was like, I want you to be able to swim. We're surrounded by the ocean. It's very good for your health. My dad was really, really about exercise and keeping fit and health. Um, But my mom was very much I have two daughters and, you know, they, they, I want them to be presentable and uh, marry someone that is, you know, she didn't want those extra things. So she wanted her daughters to be beautiful and wanted to be presented to the world a certain way. And a large part of that is the color of our skin. So I would come back from swimming or I'd be playing outside and she's like, you've been in the sun, haven't you? You know, and it would be like, go in the shower and, and scrub it, like rub it all off because being dark skin just meant that you were dirty. You know, so that relationship between being dark and being dirty came along really quickly, which I find devastating yeah. and just horrible. Yeah. Uh, there's a, you know, they, she didn't know any better. She just wanted her daughters to be successful. And how we looked was a really large part of that. Because really, what have girls else have to offer the world? You know, it couldn't be that I'm very funny or that <laughs> I might be a bit bright or, you know, yeah. there wouldn't be anything else. It would be, oh, she looks like this. That means those genes are going to carry to her children and their children. And that's our, that's the family bedline. If I want her to find a suitable partner, skin color is very important in that, in her success later on in life and being settled and being happy. So I now have the courage to kind of say to mom when she's saying these things or other people when she's saying these things to say, actually, mom, what you're saying is, is not very kind. You know, it isn't that, that has nothing to do with our success. You know, uh, we've been uh, conditioned to believe that, but really it's not that way. And if someone is dark skinned and they're very beautiful, it would be like her features are so stunning. She has stunning features, but she herself can't be beautiful because her skin has failed her, you know. So uh, just things like that, you know, just saying, actually, no, she's she's beautiful all over, you know, so things like that. Anyway, so, yes, my childhood uh, had a lot to do about the color of my skin. We were... uh, constantly encouraged to wear sunscreen because my mum felt that I'd stop me getting a tan not necessarily you know the dangers of skin cancer and things yeah. like that I had nothing yeah. to do with that I'd pop up with a freckle and mum would be like oh no no not having that you know so I do still have like little freckles here all over my face but she she did what she thought was best yeah you know it's and, a generational uh, thing isn't it it things, is you know, it's, you know? it is yes it was wrong but it, they didn't know you know the sort that's been they didn't and, from the you know, before. 100% Rachel it's not about demonizing anyone it's yeah. about re-educating them now to say okay this has gone on for so long and we're realizing the impact that it has on people yeah. that we but we can change it let's just relearn these things I think although they're ingrained uh, uh culturally it is everywhere pop culture so growing up pop culture like south asian pop culture was just uh, it was drenched in colorism it would be like the main heroine was a fair beautiful woman and uh all the backup dancers were darker skinned they weren't as made up their costumes wouldn't be as glamorous they just they were in the background so you could either be a heroine in your life or you could be in the back and the only difference was the skin color it was very clear the word gaudy, which means uh, white, fair, um, became synonymous with beauty in songs and lyrics. So anytime anyone would say, oh, she's so gaudy, it just meant she was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and when children are born, the complexion is straight away competent. Oh, she's so gaudy, she's so fair and white. He's so fair and white, you know, so it would be like a gender thing boy or girl obviously as a boy was a preference you know which we're trying to change the narrative on that as well so yeah I was very much exposed to colorism and it was subtle you know uh, it was 
just constant it just how it was how it was Rachel that's yeah. just how it is and we all strive for that because we didn't want to miss out we yeah. didn't want to feel like we weren't beautiful or that we weren't going to be successful or someone wasn't going to love us you know so so at what age and at what stage did you kind of start seeing that this was wrong and this was not doing your mental well-being you know, good and this is not how you wanted to live your life? I When I started working in the beauty industry, mm. uh, that was very interesting to see how colorism was a part of the industry. It was never talked about. It wasn't a, a thing it, yeah. in terms of an actual concept that was around. But I started working with a lot of South, South Asian makeup artists. And I remember there was a very dark skin model coming in. This is my first experience of this. There was a dark skin model who came to set and the South Asian makeup artist said, I can't do her makeup because I don't have the foundation because I don't carry it. And I'm like, so she didn't get to walk that day because she couldn't be made up. And so I can't from imagine then on, how she must have felt. I can't oh, imagine how she must have felt having to, to, you know, to stand there. I never, ever went on it. set yeah. like that again. I was prepared. Yeah. Um, I, I then started when I, when there were shoots or things going on that I was going to be around or involved in organizing or whatever, it would be like the models would be compensated, but they would bring a foundation of a certain brand that matched their color. That was a color match for them. Yeah. Uh, and they would come to set fully prepared. I just could not have that ever again, yeah. you know, and, the, and, you know, I, I'm not at the top, is it? I have to go through people to be able to, yeah, of course. but I had no problem doing it. And if there was a problem, I'd, I genuinely have no problem. And saying I'm sorry I can't be involved in the project when that happened and that and I saw that it just changed my world and I then started researching a little bit more about all of that stuff and you know when you when uh, there's photoshopping and whitewashing you know um, and a lot of the models I was seeing South Asian models who weren't as dark but weren't as fair were given lighter shades of foundation it was just it, it was like they couldn't go past a certain point of a foundation color it just you know, uh, it, it was just a lot. Okay. So then I thought, well, this is this is a problem. And we've got I've got family members who have grown up, you know, w with uh, darker skin, not just from tanned, but from birth. Um, you know, buying products, harmful products that have toxic chemicals. You know, um, trying to bleach their skin, lighten their skin color, not going out in the sun, not not going to the beach like and yeah. and being able to enjoy just little things. I didn't realize how big of a problem it was because. Mine just became a habit, you know, whereas like and, and I was managing it. But for some people, it was really hard. Like you could see it that they would there would be anguish around that thing. And, and then it stopped making sense for me. I was like, no, this is that's just ridiculous. You know, yeah. it has colorism has so many implications for caste as well. And that's a really big issue for me. I don't believe in caste. I, people are different. We are just different. No one's yeah. better or worse than anyone else. And so the implications for caste, especially in, in India, um, that the darker skinned you are, you are of a lower caste. And it, it just, uh, the inequality that it brings is, is yeah. something that I just didn't want to not do anything about or address. I mean, it's such a big issue, isn't it? And it is so ingrained in, in, that, in, in that culture that it's going to take time to shift. And I'm guessing it's still still exists now oh having these conversations Monica hopefully people listening it starts to educate them and make them think differently about about the situation and hopefully start creating change but it's it's a long process isn't it yes uh, it is and you know even if it's just one person even if it's just my daughter that's read my book and goes into the world and goes oh actually I don't agree with that what you're saying is not very nice or I don't understand that can you explain what you mean because that's yeah. not how I've been brought up to view the world yeah. I mean that's 
you know, job done, tick, yeah. you know. I mean, so, you do have a, you could tell you've got a strong sense of identity and I absolutely adore your Instagram page. Can't wait for listeners to go over and have a look at you because, you know, your fashion sense, your sense of style is just, well, it's your personality comes comes through it. But have yeah. you always had that strong sense of, of wanting to express yourself through your clothes as well? Do you know, my parents, when I look at their pictures and growing up, were always like very quite trendy you know I've got these wonderful pictures of my dad in like roll necks and brocade blazers and my mum wearing these magnificent coats and bell-bottom trousers and she was really trendy Um, and she always had an air about her and how she presented herself to the world so me and my sister always had this thing about how we enjoyed presenting ourselves I mean it's not necessarily the most traditional way but Uh, having fun with fashion and clothes and makeup and hair. We were really brought up with a lot of that with my parents. And uh, so I, I didn't really kind of come into my own maybe until I was university in university. I loved clothes. I've always loved clothes, but I went to a very, I went to a private school. So my life was consumed in a very strict uniform, um, which I think I'm very grateful for having a uniform and not having to think about what you're going to wear every day at school and this pressure that that involves, you know, and uh, I was a very, very shy kid. I was painfully shy, uh, which is very hard, I'm sure, for people to believe now, but I was very shy. And I, I just kind of felt at university, I was coming into myself a little bit more and able to have the freedom to express myself uh, in a way that I'd never really truly explored before. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up, you 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 wear the clothes that your parents buy you. And although I, I felt like my mum always had really good taste, it, it, there's something different about picking something that's you've seen for yourself and yeah. that you can envision yourself in. And I just felt it became like this wonderful, wonderful expression in that I'm because I was so shy, I was um, very quiet and found it very difficult to strike up conversation that I felt like people weren't really getting to know me or I wasn't allowing people to get to know me but my clothes became a way around that right in that I'd get dressed up and people would know a little bit more about me you know so I really liked that concept that I opened myself up a little bit more and someone would come and you know it became a, a, a soft entry point for people to maybe talk to me Yes. Um, because I had difficulty striking up conversation that if I wore this shirt out, someone would say, oh, that's an interesting shirt. And then that would start a conversation, yeah. you know, so yeah. it, it, it was like a, a little bit of a tool, I guess, to kind of open myself up to the world, which Brilliant. I didn't have. And, and, and obviously you share this on Instagram and you do it so well. But how comfortable are you being so visible on, on your social media platform? And has that come with any kind of drawbacks from from other people's expectations of you? Um, I think social media uh, is a very interesting place in that you see snippets of people's lives and everyone's becoming hyper aware. And I think it's wonderful to to educate people to say this is not their entire life. This is just a little bit of their whole life. Yeah. Um, I don't obviously look like that all the time. I'm a mum. I look after elderly parents. I run a house. I have my businesses. I work. I write. I, you know, I do all sorts of things. So uh, looking like that is just like a small part of my life, yeah. which I love to share with the world uh, uh, to hopefully inspire people to be able to just express themselves and 
and, and just go for it. Like, you know, but I have also been very lucky, which not everyone is, that Instagram especially has been a very wonderful space for me. Mm. Uh, people have been very kind um, and warm uh, and accepting, which is such a beautiful thing to be a part of. Yeah. Um, creating an online community that supports you is such a wonderful thing because it can be a very dark place. Yeah. No, so I, I I have to say that I'm very very grateful for every single person that I get to engage with or or that comes across my page or um you know it's such a lovely lovely space for me and like I said I, I'm very happy that so far I've not experienced anything that's been horrible or deterred me. Good, I'm the same. I do find it. It's and I know some people do experience a really tough time on Instagram, but I have been really lucky that the the connections I've made have been I felt really authentic and actually the support I've had has been amazing and I think that's you do feel like part of a community which I think women especially as they get older really need that sense of community don't they? Absolutely I mean I find myself it's become a source of sort of inspiration and education and community for me and it's not something that I have to engage in all the time. Initially, when you're building a brand or you're building whatever, there is a bit of pressure. Yeah. For me, there was. There was definitely pressure to post and engage and whatever. But now I feel like I want to enjoy it for other reasons. Yeah. I don't feel that sense of whatever. And that's me, you know. I, you know, It's about reframing. Okay, you know, I, I can't cater to everyone else's needs. This platform is to cater to my needs. And it's changing that. You know, because yeah. you do, you get caught up, don't you? Yeah, you do. You you do. It's really hard. Oh, I haven't posted for for a month. I haven't done yeah. this, or I haven't responded to this, or I haven't done that. But now, because there are so many other things in my life that are consuming me, um, wonderfully so, that I I am okay with taking a break. Whereas normally I'd feel this whole pressure. Um, That's a much and, healthier and, um, way. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but you have to really train yourself. I think it doesn't. It's not a natural response for me to go oh that can wait and you know followers drop off people leave and you know initially you think oh is my content terrible do they not like me or whatever but then you realize actually they have every right to leave if I don't inspire them or they're not they're not okay with seeing what what I'm posting that's totally fine but even getting to that point was yeah. a little bit of a journey you know to say that's okay yeah. it's okay because you should only follow people that inspire you that bring yes. you hope that bring you joy you know there shouldn't be any of that needle like I don't want to unfollow them because they'll unfollow me and then yes. this is drama I'm very anti-drama yeah yeah me too and I think you know it's that remembering that it's not actually about you it's about whatever that you know it's either you've just not connected with that person that person can't relate to you it's, it's about them and not you and I think it's about changing that perspective isn't it of kind of exactly. saying okay and it's I, fine and I think that, that it's a tricky line about creating content for your followers, but or creating content that it truly is an expression of yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm very mindful that I'll only post things that I am happy with rather than yeah. thinking, oh, so I think someone would like that or, yeah. you know, I'm going to, you know, I don't do that. Yeah. Which I, I, it takes a lot of uh, strength and self-reflection. Okay, is this authentic to me? Is this what yeah. I'm about? Is this what I want to share with the world? You know, and I I, I like having the control yeah. of posting what I feel is right for me, showing parts of my life, my kids, my husband, my work. I, I like having the control, which not everyone has the luxury of on, on Instagram, you know. 
And also, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about is you, and I know we talked about it last time, last year when I talked to you, and it's something that stayed in my head, actually. So the sunflowers, you know, because I just think this is so, so beautiful, the story behind the sunflowers. So obviously the book's called Sunflower Sisters. You know, you see the sunflowers in the clothing of the young girls in the book. You feature sunflowers in, in your fashion a lot. So what's the inspiration behind that? What's the story behind sunflowers? So initially, the story wasn't called uh, Sunflower Sisters. That was a, a working title that I that my um, editor and publisher kind of came up with because I'd I talked about sunflowers so often in the in the in my writing, mm. um, which it all just made sense when it came together. And uh, so I have to give credit to my to my wonderful uh, writer friend and publisher. And so the 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 thing with the sunflowers in my life is that uh, we used to live on this lovely property uh, in a very small coastal town in Australia. And my mum loves gardening. We've always had grown up with um, fruit and flower trees and plants in our in our gardens. And we had like guava, mango. We had this fruit called lugart. We had peaches. We had a pear tree that my brother had oh. over in his tractor. Okay. And my mum cried. I remember she cried um, because it was never going to fruit again because it yeah. was like still a sapling and it would just, it, it grew, but it never uh, had fruit. And we had plums oranges lemons we had a lime tree and then like we had a driveway and then the other side of the driveway we had some citrus trees anyway what happened was we'd get flocks of birds that would especially come for our guavas and they were these beautiful like rainbow lorikeets like they were stunning stunning birds and my mum loved them they were super loud uh, and they would come and they'd have a party in our front yard and my mum just felt like there were times throughout the year th that there wasn't enough fruit to feed them and so she started buying bird seed and we have pretty consistent weather. We have like a winter and a summer, but it's never that cold. It's sort of yeah. slightly always a little bit warmer than other places. And so she started buying bird seed and in the bird seed were sunflowers, uh, sunflower seeds, sorry. And so when she'd scatter them in our yard, our very well fertilized yard, we'd have sunflowers that started growing and they were ginormous. They were huge. Um, and she used to grow like sunflower sprouts as well to put in salads and things like that so there were sunflowers around us all the time and they were I'd never seen how sunflowers grew um so when we were a kid and these came up they were just I was like oh my god that's how they grow and then the center gets seeds and they fall out and it's yeah. just this beautiful cycle of life I just loved everything about them but those are some of the most beautiful images that I have of my mom is in the front yard sunflowers and her just tending to her birds and trees in the mornings. You could see the sun coming. It was just, uh, yeah. So that for me is an imagery that I carry with me a lot. And yeah. sunflowers are just happiness. <laughs> yeah. And I think you said to me last time something along the lines of be, you know, you want to be somebody else's sunflower. Yeah. And I just, so they, I came away thinking, <laughs> I love that. That's just such a lovely thought, be somebody else's sunflower. So in the Sunflower Sisters book, which I have a copy here somewhere, the la on the very last page, it kind of, talks about how we can change our views on colorism yeah and the very last thing that i write is that be someone sunflower you know it is super important to whenever you can you know uh, bring joy and happiness and life into other people's into other people's journeys because it is hard to be that for yourself all the time it is be, let's be realistic life can be tough yes. you know you know we're faced with all sorts of issues and problems and you know worries and things for the lives that we want to create for ourselves our children and the people around us it's it's a lot there's a lot of stress and so waking up every morning and being positive and trying to fight through that I find for me is sometimes a bit unrealistic but I'm 
I've, I realized that I'm so grateful that I have people in my life that became sunflowers for me so yeah. that when I wasn't okay, they, they were there for me and they, they brought light for me and they brought joy for me to help me rebuild that road back again. Yeah. So I think being someone else's sunflower can be a choice when we can't always choose for ourselves, that it can be a choice to be that for someone else. It's yeah. We all need sunflowers in our <laughs> yeah, we do and it's just such a beautiful message it really is so what's next in terms of the fashion because I know that you are developing a new fashion line which is super exciting I can't wait I to see that so what's happening with that so when I was styling I always kind of felt oh I wish I could change this or I think this would look really good like this or you know when wearing other people's uh design oh sorry other fashion labels designs and things like that and so I started sourcing things on my own making my own clothes my own styles and designs and things like that and I was very lucky that I ended up having a quite a loyal customer base that that were interested in buying pieces from me that I'd create Um, and I did a little bit of training and really got my skills up to a level where I could get by um, and then started, uh, I built up a team of tailors and things like that. And what I found that a lot of the stuff that was coming printed or readily available was accessible to everyone. So it wasn't as exclusive. And then I met this wonderful human named Nini and she is incredibly talented. We actually met through Instagram, through another artist who I was, uh, who I'm good friends with. And she got in touch with me she connected with Nimi and then Nimi started following me and we were just messaging and stuff and we met for dinner just I love to meet you I love your work mm-hmm. and so we met up and I just asked her I said look I really need an artist to create exclusive prints for a clothing label and she was all up for it she was you know uh, just straight into it I feel like I could just call her and say and Nimi I have this concept for a fabric I want it to look like this this is the size this is the color palette go and she I'd, I'd wake up the next morning and it was there you know she so when we were building up the things she was working tirelessly around the clock to kind of build up the collection of fabric um and then uh, covid happened and so we kind of had quite a few stumbling blocks um but we're very very grateful now we're moving production to the uk for the most part uh so we can have a little bit more hands-on control so hopefully this year that's going to launch and we are about slow fashion heritage pieces to carry on forever things that will be passed down things that are made from natural fabrics that are all one off yeah that's amazing (laughs) <laughs> I can't wait to see I can't see, I mean I just the prints that you've that you we have on you you know when you're showing showcasing what you're wearing the prints are just beautiful they really are Thank you. um so if if anyone's listening to this rather than watching it on YouTube <laughs> go over and either go onto the Instagram or come onto YouTube to see what Monica's wearing today because that's just an example of how gorgeous the prints are <laughs> Yes, it's, how, um, it's just a cotton lovely shirt that you can just you just have to gently wash it and it dries to perfection everything comes lined and just we 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 like think Nimi and I realize that we are very similar in how we like our clothes to be made um and what they represent and they they really have become a real expression of who we are as a team as well yeah. you know we are a fusion she's grown up here in the UK I grew up in Australia we have influences from all around the world so you know um I don't necessarily want to wear like a traditional salvar kameez all the time, which is the top and the bottom all the time. I don't want to dress traditionally all the time. But I do like to wear like European inspired or Western inspired clothes, which have a little bit of flavor of of my heritage. So that's what Monica Nimi has been about, about fusing the two. And there will be some traditional pieces, but everything is 
being uh, everything is mostly fusion wear to, to bring all of our worlds together exactly. and we're very very excited about that yeah no i can't wait keep me informed on that one i'll be i'll be watching <laughs> <laughs> i could talk to you for so much longer time's running out i've got my last four questions that i'm going to be asking all my guests this year um, just right. to help give a little bit more insight into what makes you tick first question is what book has inspired you um, so this one has resurfaced in terms of inspiration. I read this book about 10 years ago, and it's called Snowflower and the Secret Plan by Lisa C. And it is a story of these two girls who um, develop this bond, and they, they write notes to each other in the secret fan. And it, it's such a beautiful, I just love the story. But the main thing of why it's resurfaced for me and why it's so important as a piece of writing to have in my life to refer to is because it is very clear in that it shows life is not always what it seems and I have a I, I use social media a lot and this written before social media was even a thing is that it shows that the girls were kind of presenting themselves to the world in a certain way and they were viewed in a certain way but when they stripped all that back it was nothing at all like what it seemed everything was completely the opposite and and it focused on like sisterhood and uh, love and your bonds with your family and what the sacrifices that you have to make and so it's it's that snowflake I don't want to give too much away I think they've yeah made no it I'm going to add it to the list <laughs> <laughs> I think they've made it into a film but I've never watched oh. it because I love the book so much yes um, Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C is just so I felt was really relevant for me now and how I'm living my life in that you know you only see a little bit but what's behind that little bit is completely the opposite yeah. you know or can be you know and to not take everything for surface value right yeah. adding that one to the list yeah <laughs> really yeah. piece of music or song that always motivates you okay so this is actually a hindi song sung by one of the most greatest artists that has ever lived lata mageshka and it's called ajfrid jineki tamanna which is a bollywood song from my dad's favorite film called guide and it is about this beautiful woman the song itself is about this woman beautiful woman who talks about how she's pulled herself out of like the thorns and the shackles of her life and she's is using the day to be reborn and relive her life again and just the freedom in this song and the expression and her love she talks about her, her how her heart is just fluttering and how she has been in darkness for so long that it's like she's found the light again and I think sometimes when I'm feeling down and these lyrics just kind of spring into my mind it's like you know tomorrow is another day yeah and you have another opportunity and it is all just yeah I really really love that song she talks about how um how it becomes like ecstasy that freedom that was holding her back and how she's broken through that has become like an intoxication for her you know and she's high on life you know I'm sure lots out. of women can relate to that feeling as well especially as they get into yeah. their life yeah 100% I mean it's a very very beautiful song and I, I it plays often in my in my head and not just because of my connection to my to my dad but also because of what it means to me yeah it's just a song of joy and hope and the the light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> I'm going to ask you to send me the link to, to listen I will to. I've <laughs> actually do I've actually been in a Bollywood film and it was fascinating I, I was an extra once in a Bollywood film a couple of years Can ago and it was such a fascinating experience it was amazing um it was called something like 1921 or it was a kind of um it was almost like a Halloween-y scary kind of 
it was oh, a really? <laughs> it was a bizarre experience it was all yeah it was very mysterious and uh but it was an amazing experience just oh wow watching I mean, how I... it's all kind of put together and the songs and the music and it's fascinating I loved it it's a lot isn't it yeah I, mean, I have I haven't been able to what I haven't watched a new Bollywood film for a very long time um just because so, I have some issues with the culture but um it just in the way that you know like not not necessarily the films that are released but the actual culture of the people behind the film yeah. um, and some of the actors there, there has been a lot of uh, a, a lot of dark stuff that surfaced that mm. I really want to um there are films that I grew up in my childhood that feature an actor who um was recently exposed as part of the Me Too movement and, yeah. and he plays like a fatherly figure in a lot of the films and I just was there was a moment where I thought oh my god this is my child like yeah. I've grown up seeing this and you know so I I have like a very interesting relationship with mm. Hollywood whereas growing up it was like Bollywood you know so maybe like I'm not who inspires you? Who does who inspire you? Well, this is a very interesting question and it's a little bit soppy, but it is my dad. Mm. I'll get the tissue out now. <laughs> the amount of times he's been able to kind of build his life and create so much comfort um, for us and who he was as a father, like the most patient, kind man I've ever met mm. in my life. I, If I could just be a little bit of the person that he was, I think I'd be very very happy he was strong and extremely hard working he wanted us to have whatever we we desired and that was more often than not at the detriment of his own happiness he yeah. sacrificed a lot for us so yeah. he is definitely my inspiration I I carry him a lot in the decisions that I make and he is literally my best friend um we you know i i just we've had uh, a lot of ups and downs in our life in terms of like my mum became very unwell uh through when i was quite young um mm. and so how he was able to take care of her and raise his family and and uh, give us everything that we wanted and the way that he really tried in a time that wasn't it wasn't common he raised me and my sister like we were his sons and he had we have a brother yeah. but he raised us like we were all equal yeah. And he was very much like, I mean, my brother and sister will completely contest to this, but he did raise us like none of us knew which one was the favourite. We were all secretly the favourite, but they all say that I'm the favourite. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I really admired that about my dad. And uh, we were able to grow and, and have have a parental figure in that way. But my dad and I, our relationship transitioned into being like friends where communication could be open. You know, it wasn't him having to teach me to survive in the world anymore. It was about respecting the decisions that we would make and it, uh, supporting each other in that way. So I'd go to dad and say, oh, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? And it wouldn't just be like, I've told you to do this and this is how it needs to be. And you're not going to, you know, so he he grew with me and our relationship grew together like that. So, uh, yeah, he is definitely the most inspirational person I've ever met in my life. Well, I'm sure a lot of them passed down to you, Monica, from talking I to I hope you. so. <laughs> <laughs> and my last question, which I'm trying to encourage women to be more complimentary about themselves, because quite often we find it difficult to accept compliments. So if you were to pay yourself a compliment, what would it be? It would be my resilience. I 
I'm an extremely emotional person. Like, I mean, to the extreme, like anger is a 10, crying is a 10, sadness is a 10, happiness is a 10, like I'm 10 all the time. So I think that uh, that can be quite uh, overwhelming for me as a person and other people experiencing me. Mm -hmm. And so uh, people misconstrue my uh, my constant crying. (laughs) as a weakness but it truly is just an expression of how I'm feeling in a moment I do cry a lot um not every day but I cry a lot um and so people often thought oh she's quite weak and she's not going to be able to whatever but I'm very resilient and I'm very very strong and I really pride myself on that and I don't see my uh my emotional vulnerability as a weakness I see it as being able to express how I'm feeling people I think aren't really used to and I used to be able to be quite embarrassed because I feel like oh people can't handle it or they're gonna they're gonna think that I'm a bit silly or immature I think being able to express how you feel in a very natural way is a sign of maturity and emotional uh, and an emotional strength that not lots of people have so I feel things I think in a very different way to a lot of people around me and so that that is definitely uh, a compliment I think my resilience and my emotional vulnerability maybe yeah no I think that's amazing and I just love you've just got such a strong sense of who you are and I think you know lots of people listening will be wanting to try and striving for that that's what we all strive for isn't it to try and get to that place where we're all completely comfortable in our skin and and know who we are and what we're about and and to live our life freely and I think that that's wonderful to share so thank you it's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you as always how can people find you my Instagram page is Monica Singh G that's probably the best way to contact me I have have a, a, a link to my email um i'm more often on email than on dms yeah. um but uh yeah that's probably the best way to contact me is through my social media account it's been amazing to talk to you and i look forward to watching your progress <laughs> this year seeing when your fashion line comes out keep you posted i just yeah have a great year have a healthy happy and positive year monica it's been a delight to talk to you thank you so much for having me on rachel pleasure take care thank you bye So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Monica as much as I did. She just is one of those ladies that always leaves me feeling inspired and really uplifted after talking to her. And if we can take anything away from today, it would be that beautiful message, be someone else's sunflower. That's a great way to start 2022 and always remember that conversation. And, you know, it just reminds me as well of how we have to remember what an impact we can make on somebody else. Because Monica is one of those people that just radiates positivity and and has given me so much to think about. And, you know, I will go away and remember that conversation. So the conversations that you have with other people, you don't know what an impression you might be leaving on them. So keep sharing, keep sharing your stories. That's what this is all about, because you might make an everlasting impression on somebody else that could make a difference to their day. I'll be back next week. See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Outer Bubble podcast. I hope it's left you feeling inspired. If it has, why not come and join our fabulous group of women in the free Step Out of the Bubble Facebook group, where you can get to connect with other women all at different stages of their midlife journey, supporting and inspiring one another. You can also come and say hello on Instagram at rachelperu1. I'd love to know how you intend or how you are already stepping out of your bubble in 2022. And don't forget, if you're loving the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Your support is much appreciated. Until next time, keep being fabulous.